Uh, Brandon, why isn't anyone talking? Uh, Katie, we're playing D&D. We're going to need to roll initiative to see who talks first. Oh, nice. Natural 20. I guess I'm going to start things off for us today. Well, folks, welcome in, uh, welcome back to another episode of Council Cast, our Jedi, uh, Jedi Council podcast. Thanks for joining us today. A little bit of a spoiler for you there. Uh, as you might have guessed, we're going to be talking a little bit about Dungeons & Dragons today. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I haven't played Dungeons & Dragons myself, but I'm very interested. I've been seeing a lot of ideas about how therapists use it and how it's related to mental health, so kind of interested in hearing more about it. Well, I, I'm happy to to, uh, to tell you everything I know about it, which isn't that much. Uh, first, <laughs> I'll give you a little bit about my Dungeons & Dragons um, resume. How about uh, I'm not an expert on any means, so I think I've spent maybe about 60 or 70 hours playing the game as a player character, and maybe about 7 hours or so, maybe a little bit less, as a dungeon master, who's the person who kind of runs the game and, and, and creates the universe, uh, runs the non-player characters, runs the enemies, kind of uh, controls the combat a little bit. Really, the player characters are just in charge of their character and their actions and, uh, and, and so forth. So I don't know. How much do you know about Dungeons and Dragons, Katie? I... Well, other than the basic stuff that you told me about, so there you play in groups. How how mm -hmm. large is a typical group of Dungeons that's and Dragons? A, that's a really great question. It varies a lot. So I think to really, I think four or five players and one dungeon master is really going to be your ideal number of players. And maybe if it's worthwhile, I'll just give you a little rundown of what the game's a little bit like to kind of set the stage. For yeah, today. that'd be great. Yeah. So Dungeons and Dragons. Really, what what we're looking at here is a role playing game, uh, and and really one that uh, set the foundation for role playing games. And mechanically, the game is actually really quite simple. So there is some variability across the different editions of the game. There are five editions currently, and I think today, uh, my, most of my experience, and, and just for simplicity's sake, we'll just focus on the rules for the fifth edition. So when you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, really, the imagination, your imagination is the limit. You can do anything that you want. You've got the Dungeon Master, or DM for short. They kind of control the game. Uh, they're painting word pictures for you. Uh, they're giving you those visuals. They're describing the situations. They're describing the scenarios. And uh, they're, they're controlling the non-player characters. They're controlling the enemies in combat and everything like that. Um, they're going to set you up in a scenario, a uh, very classic Dungeons & Dragons uh, scenario. You're starting off in a tavern. That's where more of the adventures start than anywhere else. And it's kind of up to the players to decide on the hooks. What brought the different characters together? How do they know each other? What's their motivation for working together? And there's a lot of variability in that, in that the characters, some players uh, spend a lot more time coming up with that backstory, really diving into that role-playing piece. And some are a little bit more casual, and that's totally fine too. And they're just there to uh, enjoy the mechanics of the game and, and maybe just enjoy it at a little bit more surface level. And both play styles are absolutely fine. So in Dungeons & Dragons, uh, like I said, your imagination is kind of your limit. You can pretty much do anything you want. And maybe I'll set that up with a situation. So, for example, uh, imagine that you're, done, you're playing Dungeons & Dragons, uh, and your Dungeon Master describes that you walk upstairs into the top level of a tavern into this room. You might say, okay, that's great. Uh, I'd like to do a perception roll to kind of just see what I see. So in what you do, you've got uh, some different uh, die for Dungeons & Dragons that all have different number of sides. If you're going to do a perception roll, what you do is you'd roll that 20-sided die, and you'd add your perception modifier, and I won't get too much into the... the nitty-gritty of character stats, and then you'd say, okay, for example, I rolled an 18. The, that's a fairly high roll, 18 out of 20, of course, and then uh, the Dungeon Master, because that's a fairly good roll, would describe the room for you, and they might say, okay, you look around the room, it's fairly empty, there's a carpet on the floor, there's a single bed and a dresser, and uh, there's a closet, so what would you like to do? So you've gotten a good idea, now a visual picture of what that room really looks like, and you might say, okay, uh, I'm going to maybe take a look in the dresser. 
you walk over to the dresser, the dungeon master's kind of describing this all to you, and then the dungeon master says, oh, right as you get to the dresser, someone bolts out of the closet, and they jump out the window. Oh, okay, so that's kind of surprising. Uh, I'm going to take off. I'm going to go look out the window. Okay, so you, the dungeon master might say, you look out the window, you're looking down, you see them running away. Uh, all right, the player says, I want to jump out the window after them. I want to chase them. You're totally fine to do that. Uh, this is the moment where the dungeon master might say, okay, why don't you do an acrobatics roll? You roll again. Uh, maybe this time you roll a little bit lower. You roll a three. So the dungeon master, of course, is not going to be uh, as nice to you on this roll because it's a lot lower. You jump out the window. You're trying to do a really cool flip, but you end up slipping on the bottom and you fall a little bit. Unfortunately, because you fell, you were looking down, your head was on the ground, the person got away, you're not sure what direction they went, and the adventure carries on from there. So just to give you a little bit of an idea of what one scenario might be. Of course, uh, there's a little bit of variation even in that. Um, some players, uh, or some groups rather, only do everything in the imagination, everything, you know, pen and paper, and you're just talking through the situations. Um, the group that I play with, we do that for all of the role-playing or outside of battle parts, but when we go into combat, we actually use a really big um, grid of one inch by one inch squares and we use miniatures for the player characters and miniatures for the enemies and we kind of do combat that way and it's a little more technical and a little more mechanical uh, than the just role playing between combats which is a little bit more you're still doing those roles but it's a little more free form. I don't know does that kind of explain a, a little bit of what the mechanics of the game look like? Yeah so it seems like there's a set structure but there mm -hmm. is a lot of room for people to engage in imagination and even decide how much they want to put into their own character and how much they want, you know, it sounds like there's some individual preferences there in terms of how much they want to do. Like you said, some really develop a strong background of their mm -hmm. character and all that stuff. And I, I, being a comics fan, I think that's interesting because, um, as I mentioned, my one of my favorite authors, Ta-Nehisi Coates, who's a journalist, mentioned that when he switched to writing the new run of Black Panther comics, that he really based most of the foundation on switching to comic book writing from journalist writing on D&D. And as mm -hmm. you describe that, I get an idea of how he created the world in kind of in more depth rather than what I would think of as usually just focusing on the characters. It seems like there's a whole other types of cooperative collaboration coming up with mm -hmm. this world and what's going on in it. So that's a, that's a great explanation. So from what I understand, historically Dungeons & Dragons has been viewed kind of skeptically by people or people have had concern that they it was damaging for people who played it. Do you, have you heard about that? I have. No, that's a great question. So Dungeons & Dragons started in 1974. Uh, that's when the first edition came out and, and it was a very popular game. A pen and, pen and paper game. Uh, this is before the advent of video games, of course. So, uh, you know, getting into role playing and, and maybe fans of comic books, fans of adventure, fans of fantasy, this is a way for them to really, uh, you know, use that creativity and really uh, get into the game and, and create a character and do these things. But you're absolutely right, it was met with a certain level of uh, distrust, might be the right word. Um, for example, I, I'm familiar with one one webcomic, and, and we'll post that in the links here just uh, so people are can take a look and kind of see what I'm talking about. Actually goes into, uh, it was an actual comic, uh, it's very brief, and it just kind of showed an example of how D&D can lead children down the wrong path, and actually there was a lot of concern that D&D was related to uh, Satanism, uh, or human sacrifice, or witchcraft. Wait, wait a second, they thought D&D was related to human sacrifice? Human sacrifice. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's <laughs> a very... 
Oh, I don't even know how they made that connection. It's, Where did that come from? It's a jump. I, I don't know where a lot of these ideas come from uh, either. And I think, really, I think where it comes from, and, and I think we've, we've seen this uh, in the past too, I can remember this in my own childhood, actually, uh, when the Harry Potter series came out. I think it's a lot of these things that, that get into um, magic. And mm -hmm. I think magic uh, it, it usually is viewed through this lens of distrust. Not usually. It can be, I should say. And I think that's exactly what we saw with Dungeons & Dragons. I think it was completely misunderstood um, and, you know, and I think, you know, this was a period where I, I think we've seen, it's a lot different now, uh, just these more, what are quote-unquote described as maybe nerdy or geeky interests. This was something that, that you couldn't be as open about. You're maybe playing it in your basement uh, with your friends, uh, closing the blinds a little bit, and I think this added sort of a, a layer of secrecy to it that, uh, you know, helped to facilitate this distrust. Uh, who are these weirdos that are playing D&D? <laughs> &D? What are they doing? Uh, you know, why, why, I mean, why are they so secretive about it? And I think this just kind of facilitated this uh, concern and uh, this idea that that it led to, you know, magic or, or any of these negative things that were perceived, uh, you know, to be related to to negative evil forces or what have you. So yeah, it, it does have a certain checkered history um, that started back back in the day. What do you think's taken people away from those ideas? Or you, have people come away from that? It sounds like most people have, but there are still, it seems like occasionally I'll see a headline where people still think Harry Potter or D&D &D or other stuff is related to mental health problems oh, and that kind of thing. You're absolutely right. That, that's a great point. Um, so this is just my perception of the situation. I think a lot of people have moved away from this, but I think you're spot on when you say that not everyone has. In fact, just the other day, I think it was maybe on Facebook, I shared an article uh, that showed that um, fantasy novels... Uh, do lead to mental health, and I was just absolutely floored. It was a blog post from a principal of a school who wrote this, uh, really just saying, you know what, parents, uh, here's here's the scoop. Uh, you need to keep your keep your children away from these fantasy novels. Keep them away from your Harry Potter's. Keep them away from your Lord of the Rings because it is directly going to lead to mental health, and you need to have them reading classics. And I was. I, I mean, I mean, I think my interests have become apparent for those people who know me or have listened to this. I absolutely love fantasy novels. I love sci-fi. I love all of it. I, I'm just, I just can't get enough. Um, but the idea, I mean, this, I mean, really, and I just want to, I'm just going to be very concrete. It is an unfounded speculation that fantasy novels lead to mental illness is not only, I think, you know, just blatantly wrong. I think it's just wildly uh, inappropriate. I, I think that fantasy, I think reading, I think uh, people should be interested in whatever they're interested in. This is, you know, this is just a harmless interest that people can enjoy. And I don't know why, uh, and maybe I don't know if you have any insight on this, I don't know why it still happens, or why people, there are certain people, certainly, that push against it. It just seems like a complete fundamental misunderstanding of the nature of children and mm -hmm. it, it seems like it gives them no credit for being able to separate fantasy from reality and it's also this strange assumption that there's some kind of evil lurking in those books that they're going to take on when often a lot of the characters represent heroes they're just in an imaginative world or somehow they're not going to be able they're going to go too far into that world and lose track of reality and that is just not how mental disorders develop. I mean, it's yes, there is a losing track of reality, but that is much more mm -hmm. related to causal factors having nothing to do with mm -hmm. reading books and hobbies and things like that. As we know, that has more to do with genetics and mm -hmm. environmental stressors and things like that. So it, it is shocking to me that someone would 
take that viewpoint, and, and I just hate to think of anyone discouraging children from reading for any reason. Oh, absolutely. So uh, you just raised an interesting point, too, and I want to see if you have any further thoughts about this, because I know this is something that, that uh, has come up in the psychology literature recently, is maybe people who are described as video game addicts, maybe who use video games, maybe more so, less Dungeons and Dragons type games is my perception, and more so maybe online role-playing, uh, MMORPG, uh, which stands for Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Games, uh, maybe using those as a void of, or as a form of, rather, avoidance or escapism. I don't, do you have any, I mean, have you read about this as well, or, or where do we draw the line between what is a, a maladaptive form of avoidance and, and what is just a, a, a common and, and maybe just a, a perfectly fine interest and or hobby. That's something I'm super interested in. The next, for those of you who have read our blog post, the next fictional character that we'll post about is actually a character, um, Sid Sherman, portrayed by Felicia Day. Her mm -hmm. role, her character name is Codex, and it, it goes into this internet gaming disorder, which you can find in the appendix of DSM-5. It, needing more research and the idea is that particularly people who feel like they can't cope with anxiety spend hours and hours embracing these roles and um, interacting with people in a context that they're comfortable with but as with most things when you get to extremes and either or positions maybe like this person who was talking about kids reading fantasy stuff um, you really have to look at nuance in the situation so the idea always with mental disorders is that it's a mental disorder if it causes significant distress or impairment. So if someone is engaged in these things to the point where they can't work or they're neglecting basic responsibilities or their physical health, which you see in some of these news stories I've seen in extreme cases of internet gaming disorder where people aren't leaving the house for long periods of time or they're getting mm -hmm. dehydrated or even they're just not engaging with any people in person and and they can be prone to develop either depression or anxiety or things like that and so that's a totally different thing than people who have hobbies that they're interested in and excited about to me that seems like that can serve as a really positive way for people to engage and it sounds like based on the way you describe D&D that maybe individuals who are a little more shy mm -hmm. might like the structure of it where there's still some opportunity for them to interact on their own and spontaneously but it sets the stage in a way that it might be less intimidating than just completely meeting new people without any structure. Absolutely, I think you're spot on and I think that's one of the huge uh, differences and, and I think I think that's one of the, the, the huge benefits, too, to face-to-face uh, -face tabletop role-playing games. So, you know, broadly, all tabletop games, I think I, I'm a huge fan of a lot of them. Oh, yeah, they're um, so much fun. Oh, absolutely. And I think having a, a regular group of people that you meet with, uh, it allows you to have that social interaction. Uh, beyond that, I, I, and I think I know folks who are friends with me on Facebook uh, or maybe that follow the Geek and Sundry page or maybe I've shared a few of these maybe on the, the Jedi Council page uh, I, I was talking about D&D and some of the benefits of it, and I think there are a lot of them. And I think sometimes uh, maybe they get pushed away. And, and I know, I mean, D&D, there's a huge resurgence, I think, right now. Uh, I think there's a lot more people, more than ever, that are playing it. A lot of adults are playing it right now. And I've also heard of a lot of parents who are playing it with their kids. Uh, I love to see that. I have friends who post pictures of them playing D&D with their kids, and it just seems like... You know, they're engaged fully for hours. People get concerned about people being locked up in their screens and not engaging mm -hmm. in here. They're really talking and communicating and working as a team. It's great to see. Absolutely. And, I, and I've seen this you know, as young as kids 8 or 9 years old. 
And of course, you know, the game, 5th edition particularly, is pretty simple, but that's the beauty of it, is you can really modify it if you need to make things a little more simple. That's totally fine to, uh, to you know, just get things to be age-appropriate. And that's another part of it, too, where you, you know, as the, the DM, the Dungeon Master, whoever's running the game, you can totally control the story. You create the story. It allows for that creativity, and you can create something that's inspiring and fun, and in really challenges the the kiddos to be thinking. And how can they, you know, think critically to solve this situation, or how can they, you know, get through this situation without maybe, uh, you know, fighting the enemy? Maybe learning some of those communication skills, uh, you know, and just getting them thinking about that. I think there's a lot of skills that can actually be learned from Dungeons and Dragons, and I think we're seeing a lot more people, you know, with this resurgence and and kind of this geek chic sort of thing, and and comic book movies are becoming more popular and tabletop games and Dungeons and Dragons specifically is becoming more popular uh, and especially I know with when 5th edition came out for Dungeons and Dragons uh, for folks who maybe don't play 5th edition is the most current one and uh, and that's really a very accessible edition uh, it's simple and and people can really pick it up and play um, so I think it's it's welcoming to people and I think a lot of those uh, you know we've had more people speculating about some of the benefits of it so you know just off the top of my head trying to think about what what can you get out of Dungeons and Dragons you're getting that social interaction uh, you're meeting a group of people regularly the research you know I mean there's research showing and I think I'm sure you know this well obviously you know this that uh, having that interaction with people is a good thing that behavior activation piece getting out of the house you're meeting with people it's forcing you to get up it's forcing you to get dressed, get out, show up for something, and that's so important to have that interaction. Uh, you're developing those communication skills with the people who you're playing with. Uh, you have to talk to one another. You have to work together. Communication and cooperation. Uh, you know, if one person just goes completely rogue, well, that's not going to work for the group. So you have to talk about what's best for the group. Uh, how can I match the group's, uh, you know, general interests against my own personal goals? How can we work those in together? Uh, you're thinking critically about these situations, uh, be it the combat or Maybe you're trying to handle things. I know the group that I play with, we try to think of uh, creative, sneaky ways to get around some situations instead of always, you know, barreling straight in with combat. We try to sneak around or be stealthy or disguise ourselves, things like that. So you're getting that critical thinking skills. I think you're working a lot on developing empathy, uh, you know, especially folks who push a little bit more for the role-playing, which I think is absolutely wonderful. Uh, you're, you're really taking taking the role of someone else, obviously, role-playing, that makes sense. But, you know, looking at the world through someone else's eyes, empathy is a hard thing to teach in my experience and I think this is a really great vehicle through which you can teach someone to be empathetic by you know they've created this fictional character well what are their motivations how would they respond to this situation how would they interact with this person and then that can get them you know developing those skills and maybe they can take that role for another person that they know in their life too you know just thinking about some of these skills I mean it's obvious to me, obviously I'm biased, I love Dungeons and Dragons, I love to play it, I think everyone should play it, but uh, I think there's a lot of good that can come out of it as well. It seems like part of what's so powerful about it is it's so immersive, there are just so many elements that draw you in, and so if you're playing character you'd be really motivated to empathize and understand that, whereas in other settings it's kind of difficult, and it seems to me parallel to other types of approach of therapy where you do some kind of concentrated situation where they're practicing skills in a group, mm -hmm. for example, role-playing, mm -hmm. social skills. And the idea is they're getting really focused concentration, but the goals always then generalize it outside mm -hmm. of the setting. And so it sounds like the key here, and of course this is pending scientific testing, some mm -hmm. of which we might do ourselves, is wondering if those skills do translate, because it seems like they could be really beneficial a big part of therapy that is so difficult is we have a lot of great tools that help people, but getting people invested in it, getting mm -hmm. them engaged, 
making it describing things in a way that they understand that's tricky so if you can take something like dungeons and dragons which is in just intrinsically fun and mm-hmm. enjoyable and engaging and get something therapeutic from that it seems like that could be a huge powerful way of sharpening some of these skills that we know like you said are very relevant for good mental health no i think you're exactly right and i think you, you really hit the nail on the head there because what, what we do in therapy is spend a lot of time developing social skills we do those role-playing things. Well, how did you, you know, what did you say to this person? How did you communicate? Let's play this out and see how it works. So I think when you're getting those a group of people together, you're having them work together, think together, role-play together, you know, they're getting that empathy. I think you're exactly right. It's a perfect intersection where you're getting a lot of these skills that we spend time focusing on in therapy anyway. You're adding in a little bit more social interaction and really working on facilitating that cooperation and communication. And I think it's a perfect way to maybe people who might be a little bit more nervous about therapy, especially I know groups uh, for clients can be particularly nerve-wracking because, you know, groups are nerve-wracking just for anyone. Uh, Particularly if it's someone who's struggling with anxiety or depression, they might be socially avoidant or they might socially isolate. So I think getting them uh, into a group through a vehicle that is a little bit more accessible, a little more approachable, like Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, and and I want to clarify as well, there isn't any empirical evidence to support this yet. But, you know, intrinsically in my mind, it does kind of make sense where you're combining uh, this fun, immersive, cool game with a lot of the skills that you would be working on in therapy as well. That's right. And, and the research shows, for example, like you're saying with social anxiety, that having there is evidence that having people go through the exposure in groups does help because right there they're confronting mm-hmm. and social anxiety we should say is when you're uh, most people know this mm-hmm. but fear of negative evaluation by mm-hmm. others and often involves isolating oneself to avoid experiencing um, negative people judging you poorly and so I do wonder if for some people at least this might be a way to do that but what you're hearing right now to step back from a science perspective is hypothesis generation yeah. and it's mm-hmm. it's basically in in science, when you're generating hypotheses, you go you can go based on your experiences or what you've observed. Mm-hmm. But it's really important for the next stage, with, which is empirical testing, to see if, if it comes out. But it does seem theoretically and rationally mm-hmm. that a lot of these things might apply. And so it is worth testing and seeing, because if so, it could be a powerful vehicle for some people. Absolutely. I think you're exactly right. And, and I appreciate your qualification of that, too, as, as, as scientists, uh, of course, in and we like to focus on a lot of the fun in this podcast and in our blog, of course. But at heart, we're both scientists, and so it is important to uh, to recognize, you know, what what is proven to work. And uh, to my knowledge, there is no evidence for this uh, either way that it does or doesn't work. So I think you're exactly right that it, it's an avenue that's uh, worth discovering because, you know, I mean, I love Dungeons and Dragons, I and I can see, and, and you're exactly right. Uh, rationally, theoretically, intrinsically, it kind of does make sense that it would work in this way. So I think it's worthwhile. And and I know I read another article the other day that uh, you know th- I think there are some people who are trying Dungeons and Dragons out in sort of social skills types group type of groups. Uh, there's no empirical evidence, of course, as I've already alluded to. But uh, one thing that they commented on was. Uh, they were a little worried maybe about what the parents would think. Uh, you know, I, I think sometimes everyone has a different conception of what therapy really looks like, and they were wondering, well, what are these parents going to think when I'm telling them their child's coming to therapy and we're playing games? It turned out they absolutely, I mean, from what I read, and, and the parents absolutely loved it. They thought it was a great way, uh, just like I said, a great way to get their child interacting with other children, uh, get them thinking, get them talking, uh, and get them engaged. So, I mean, at least on that front, it seems like, the kids like it. It seems like the parents like it. Uh, what do we need still? It's that scientific 
piece. We need to get that empirical uh, evidence to see, you know, is this making a difference? Is, are these skills generalizing? Yeah, that's a great point. And are there particular people for whom it might go to an extreme where they're not, you know, I don't think that that's inherent to Dungeons and Dragons, but like you were talking about people who are involved in role-playing games or video game playing and it goes to an extreme and so that's I doubt I, I don't think that's clearly not the majority but it would be something worth looking at if there are certain people at risk for it my dad is actually a therapist and he works with children and a lot of his first sessions involve playing games mm -hmm. and and he said that sometimes parents or even his colleagues that work with him kind of walk by and they're like so they're um, seeing you and you're just playing checkers with them mm -hmm. for an hour but it's the context. He's using the, the principles, behavioral and cognitive principles often, but that is the only way to really connect and get, get invested in some of these situations. So it involves some flexibility in terms of how the therapist is applying those mm -hmm. things that we know that work. No, I think you're exactly right, and I think uh, another huge component of that, of that is that engagement piece, because I know I've seen this as well, and, and I've used this as well, you know, using a game or, or using those common interests to try to get, you know, get the kiddos engaged. Therapies, I mean, it's different for everyone I know, but for people I know, they're, they're a little anxious when they come in. They don't know what to expect. So, you know, sitting down and, and talking with them, and maybe we're playing a game with the little kids, or, you know, whoever it might be, is, is really a great way to get them engaged. And I think that Dungeons & Dragons provides uh, a unique opportunity where you can really get that engagement piece, but you're also getting a lot of that skills building at the same time. And I don't, I mean, to my knowledge, there isn't anything else that's so uniquely suited to, uh, to you know, getting on both of those fronts. So uh, I think we'll probably wrap up there. Uh, thanks for listening in. We, we hope that you enjoyed, uh, you know, just kind of exploring Dungeons & Dragons. What is it? What's the history a little bit? And, you know, what does it have to offer from a psychological perspective? Um, one thing that we've been toying around with a, a little bit of an idea was maybe uh, having a little bit of, of playing Dungeons & Dragons on an episode to kind of introduce uh, what does the game really look like and then maybe go through it and talk about specifically where were some areas where we might have been developing those skills just to kind of give folks a more concrete idea. And, and give me a more concrete idea. Since I've never really played it Absolutely. before, but I did learn a lot in the last 20 minutes. So Absolutely, and ultimately, yo, you're very welcome. Ultimately, that is uh, my true motivation is to get everyone <laughs> playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so that that would be the main goal for that. And uh, just like always, folks, I just want to really thank you for listening in. Uh, we've gotten some really great feedback. Please, please, please feel free to give us that feedback. We want to hear about who do you want to see us writing about on the blog. Who are your favorite characters? What are some of your interests? Uh, mine is Dungeons and Dragons and mine are comics. I love these things. So that's the things I love talking about. But I want to talk about what you're interested in too. And how, how can we apply these psychological lens to some of our more, uh, you know, nerdy, geeky, or things that we're passionate about. I think that's what we're really about here. So if you, you know, t tell your friends about us. Tell everyone you know, like I said last time, you know. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We're on the uh, Jedi Council blog. Uh, find us on Facebook. Uh, we've got links to our website on both of those. And uh, yeah, just just communicate with us. We're here to, we want to talk about what you're interested in. So uh, just, you got to talk to us. You got to tell us what you're interested in. So thank you very much for tuning in. And thank in. you for listening. Yep, absolutely. And we'll uh, talk to you soon.